So this morning we'll continue with our study, looking at the book of Philippians, the Word of God. We know that it is life, and life in abundance. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you take them out, please, and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Chapter 1, and we will be looking at verse 14. Philippians 1, verse 14. And this is what it says. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Another translation says it, puts it this way. And most of the brethren... In the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We now come to the second result of Paul's uh, imprisonment. Remember, he was thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And um, the first result that we spoke about two weeks ago uh, showed us that um, the gospel was... um, spread all over the the Roman Empire because of his imprisonment. And um, a number of the Praetorian Guard came to know Christ. Today we will look at the second result of of his imprisonment. And um, the second result is this. Because he got imprisoned, the gospel of the Christian in Rome were encouraged. They were encouraged. In Rome during that time, the church lived, it seems as though the church lived its Christianity with caution and care. They will take no chances. They were reserved about sharing their faith. Now from Philippians 12 to 14, uh, verse 12 to 14, Paul tries to reassure the Philippian church that his imprisonment has not actually hindered the gospel because he got thrown into prison. And so the Philippian church that he, he loved dearly, the guys were concerned. Now he's been thrown into prison. How's the gospel going to carry on? How's the work of God going to carry on? And so in prison, he writes to them to encourage them. Actually, he, the, the work of the Lord has actually continued, is actually continuing. Him being thrown into prison has not hindered the gospel. In fact, the opposite is true. It has advanced the gospel. Now, we've discussed Paul's attitude in all of this. Since the beginning of of, uh, this book, as we started, we've been looking at Paul and how how he addressed the the church. His whole attitude and um, the implication of his attitude. But today, it's even more apparent. From verse 12 to 14, he's in prison, encouraging the church that is, he's in prison and he is confined. He's encouraging the church that is open and, and free to do as they please, although they were kind of confined in some ways because of the Roman government. And so we, at this point, we um, look at his attitude intently. We see how it comes about. And there are, it, it's, it's worth noting two things. At this point, remember we are looking at Paul, his life, and his attitude. Because we can learn from his attitude. 
And the one thing we need to um, make mention of is the thing he does not say and one thing that he does not do. So he's in prison, encouraging the church. Just remember there's two things. One thing he does not say and one thing that he does not do. So Paul explains in verse 13 that his imprisonment has actually advanced the gospel. What is bad, his imprisonment has provided opportunity for what is good. The gospel being heard by people he would never normally reach. So what was bad, thrown into prison, has provided an opportunity for that which turns out to be good. The gospel is uh, preached to the people that he wouldn't normally preach um, and speak to. But what Paul does not say is that bad is good. Paul doesn't say in his writings that actually bad is actually good. Uh, we see that oh, this from this account that God can use what is bad to bring good from it. But bad is always bad. And we should never pretend otherwise. And kind of to emphasize this and understand that bad is bad, but God can take the bad and turn it into good. It's good for us to maybe just look at um, a story in the Old Testament. Uh, you guys will remember if you, uh, the, the story about Joseph. Joseph was uh, sold by his brothers and became a slave. Through no fault of his own, other than him maybe telling his brothers, ah, you worship me, so you know, there's pride there. No fault of his own, he got sold into slavery. Joseph then ends up in more trouble. He's thrown in jail and almost forgotten. But through a series of events, he became known to Pharaoh. And eventually, Pharaoh put him um, in charge of all the affairs of Egypt. So Joseph's gift saved Egypt from famine. And uh, remarkably, also his family when his brothers came to buy food. Joseph saw God's hand in all of this that had happened to him. He had been sent ahead to Egypt so that he could provide food for his whole family at a time of a deadly famine. If you want to know more about that story, it's in Genesis verse 37 through to um, 45. And this is the story of Joseph. Thro gets thrown into prison. He didn't do anything to deserve to go into prison. But look at his attitude. He, if you read the scripture, he turns and says, Actually, God sent me here before you for your goodness. Your goodness. Now, Joseph's story is incredible. It's a wonderful account of how something very bad became used for something very good. But nothing about the outcome justifies the evil that came earlier. Brutal things were done to Joseph. All these things were part of Joseph's experience, but all of them, none of them were good. They were very, very wrong. And so I understand a human, um, uh, we in this world think bad things happen to us. We sometimes cannot explain why bad things happen to us. But God has the ability to take and turn that bad thing that has happened to us into good for the advancement of the gospel, for his glory. 
uh, that which man plans to do evil against us through the enemy, God takes it and turns it around and he gets the glory in it. And so likewise with Paul, Paul never says that any of the wrongs done to him was right. He never claims that his many beatings and imprisonment were anything but bad. But God took what was bad and brought something good out of it. So Paul doesn't say that the bad stuff is good. He doesn't say that you have to go through the bad stuff so the good stuff can come out of it. But life happens. We don't understand. We live in a fallen world and things happen to us. We cannot control those things. But we are um, children of God, the Almighty One, the one that we sent uh, to uh, this morning. But the Word of God also says that in this life we will have many troubles. We have to expect many troubles. But guess what? Take heart for He, Jesus Christ, has overcome it all. So that which is bad in your life, God has the ability to turn it into good. Just like we see here. And what Paul doesn't do, the second thing that Paul does not do, the first thing is he doesn't say the bad is good. The second thing is that he doesn't, what he doesn't do is he doesn't become introspective. Paul does not focus on his hardships. He was held captive. And very probably he was chained day and night to a Roman soldier. He had no uh, privacy for any activity or any conversation. He was not comfortable and had no guarantees about his future. And actually Paul at that point could have looked for pity from the Philippians by pouring out his troubles to them. Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't write to them and say, oh, woe is me. I'm in prison. I've been preaching the word of God. I've been doing this noble thing. Uh, please help me. Send me money. Or He didn't do that. He says, actually, what has happened to me, which looks bad to me and everyone else, has actually turned out for the good, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I wonder for us, how many of us have that kind of attitude in our heads? How many of us think of uh, life in that, in that regard? When things are looking horribly wrong, do we ask the question, God, I wonder, I wonder what good will come out of this. How is your gospel going to spread from here? How are you going to get the glory from this situation? I wonder, and I don't speak to you as though I do that all the time. I'm in the same boat as, as, as you, I would imagine. And I don't often ask those questions. Often I'll be like, whoa, whoa. Man, why me? Why me? But Paul teaches us here through his attitude that actually good can take place. Good can come from that which seems bad in our lives. See, Paul could have told a sob story to the Philippian church, but he didn't. His focus was not on himself and on his struggles. Before anything else, he wanted the, the, the church to know that the gospel was still spreading. He was still focused on the mission of God. His personal comfort was much, uh, a much lower priority. 
And funny, as I was preparing this, I, I had a, a, an opportunity to have a coffee with a friend yesterday. And this friend sat, sat with me, and all he was telling me is all his stuff that is happening. And I looked at him and I said, man, your life seems as though there's an explosion. It's just negative, 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 everywhere. And I said, man, when you're in that situation, it's very hard for you to find any positive uh, thing. It's all negative. This is happening in my family, this. Uh, work, the, everything just seems to go um, haywire. And I looked at him and, and said, you know, I just got uh, reminded me of this, of this uh, scripture and what we are learning. And then I asked him, do you... Can you, in yourself, with the help of the Holy Spirit, ask God to show you how does all these explosions, how are these bad situations going to turn for, the, for your good, for the good of the gospel, for, for God's glory? And um, he stopped and, and he thought, that's, that's a good question to, to be asked. Um, and... I don't know whether he was looking for sympathy, which I'm afraid I didn't have for him. And um, I just kind of pointed him back to scripture and said, look at Paul, look at Joseph, look at what happened to them. But, but then look at what happened afterwards. Yes, what happened to them, the events that took place do not justify the bad that occurred. It wasn't right, but it happened. But in all of that, God still got the glory. Good came out of the bad. And I'm hoping that he, will, he walked away there a little bit encouraged, saying, actually, I don't, I'm not going to look at myself and just be so, ah, woe is me. Actually, God, what are you doing? There has to be a divine purpose, divine plan. I'm your child. There has to be something that you're busy with here. How can this situation turn for your glory? So what was um, at the heart of what Paul wanted to say to the Philippians, it can be summarized in one sentence. My imprisonment has actually helped the gospel spread. And that's an interesting statement to make in prison. And your heart and thinking is, actually the gospel is going forward. Forget about me and my imprisonment, the gospel is going forward. God is doing stuff. He's achieving that which he wants to achieve, that which he needs to achieve. Paul doesn't say, or should I say, Paul says, because my chains in verse 14, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, the phrase having become confident simply means having received confidence. They've become confident, means that they have received confidence. Paul's testimony impacted them so powerfully that they de derived confidence from it. The Christians around Paul saw the obvious. Here is a man who was held captive, kept from his normal preaching, his life on the line, and still he witnessed to everyone he could. And it worked. God used him to make God's gospel spread. And as a result, the Philippians, the church, became confident in the Lord and proclaimed the gospel without fear.
Now, boldness in Rome at that time took some courage. A person could risk imprisonment or even death. This issued timid and massy witness. Believers were not sure of themselves. They were afraid what might happen if they ran afoul of the Roman government. So they were scared if they preached the gospel, if they did stuff that the Roman um, government didn't approve of, they would possibly be in prison um, and even face death. So boldness took a bit of a, uh, it took courage. And you see, today Christians are often massy, scared. We are a little bit apprehensive and afraid to share our faith with far less consequences than that of the Romans. We are apologetic. We are quiet about our faith. We are afraid to hurt feelings. We are afraid to touch and stand on people's toes. We do not want to speak up so that the issue of heaven and hell are clear. People are looking for the truth, but we're scared. We are apprehensive. We are reserved in some, in many ways, because we're scared of uh, all sorts, all sorts of things. And I know circumstances are often difficult for the believer, for you and I, either personally because of pressure against our faith or because of our own doing. We've just been what we've heard and, and, and this could happen. If you do that, this is going to happen to you possibly. We hear, we let a lot of uh, noises into our lives and which scares us and stops us from doing what we should do. Christians, you and I can stay silent and our messages or our message can, will die with us. Or we can see what Paul saw, how God can still find a way for the good news to be spread. What's bad can be used for good. It's interesting that Paul's unconcerned for his own comfort and even his own life. Tells the good news to anyone and everyone, even when he's chained in prison to the gods. He's, got, he's turned to these people. He's, got, he's with these guys all the time. Man, he looks at every opportunity to preach the word of God, to spread the good news of God. Now you see, you have to believe in the good news of God in order for you to spread the good news of God. If I don't believe in what I'm um, uh, preaching and telling, or should I say, as a, as a salesman, if you don't believe in what you're selling, man, it will be difficult for you to sell that thing. I'm not saying the gospel needs to be sold, but you have to believe in what you are uh, selling or, uh, or telling people about. It's the same with the Christian um, gospel. We know, the beauty is that we know the truth of God. We've experienced His goodness. We've experienced His grace. We know that He um, died on the, on the Friday and rose again on the, on, the, on the Sunday. So what we are proclaiming is true. And so Paul knew this. He could not keep quiet about the death and resurrection of of Christ. He could not. So every opportunity he got, he took 
and made sure that people heard him. I wonder if people got irritated with him. I wonder. I wonder. See, God brought them, all these people, to, uh, in front of him. He was placed in a prison cell, and there's a whole bunch of guards that he would never normally ever reach. But he had an opportunity to do that. And he saw that opportunity and he took it. It was a bold choice in his day. Today, it's still a bold choice. It is still a bold choice for us to proclaim the gospel of, of God. It's still a, a, it takes us courage for us to stand up and speak. It's e- far easier for me to stand and, and, and speak as I am this morning. But it's far more difficult for me to speak to my friend. It's far more difficult for me to speak to my family, to my dad, to my brothers, to my sisters. God gave me courage to be able to do that. Give us all courage to be able to do that. And of course, we've been told we mustn't babble bash people. And I understand that. And I agree with that. This is, this is why we need to be attentive to the Holy Spirit. Because as he leads, so we follow. As he deposits uh, um, into people's hearts, so we come and plant those seeds. And then we water them. Others water. All these things take place. But it is far, um, it is still a bold choice for us to make today. But it's a choice that allows the gospel to advance in ways which only God's wisdom can conceive. Now, earlier on I mentioned what Paul doesn't do is become introspective. Doesn't look at himself. Doesn't focus on his hardships and his problems. I suppose the question you might ask yourself then is how? How is this man thrown into this? And it's, it's almost default mode for us to look at ourselves and say, oh, look at me. How did Paul do this? How was he not introspective? I believe it was by looking at his past and acknowledging God's goodness and faithfulness in his life. And as he did that, it must have automatically made him grateful and thankful. This affected his attitude and his whole entire outlook of his life. I'm sure he must have reasoned with God. I'm sure he had moments. Joseph must have had moments in prison, locked down, they've forgotten about. He must have, these guys are not wholly floating on clouds. They were humans like you and I. I'm sure they had uh, times where they're thinking, God, why? Why? Look at me. Why? I don't understand. I'm doing your work. I'm doing this. But I haven't done any evil. I haven't done any, any wrong. But here I found myself. And they, they must have had moments where they just were almost given up. Almost wanting to lay everything down and say, and I have those, I've had those moments where you're like, I just don't understand. I want to just chuck it. I just... You know, you know, someone once said, people say, um, death is better. I'd rather die because it's better. And then I'm reminded, actually, it's not better if you do not know Christ. <laughs> it's not better. It's better to be here. Paul says that later we'll, we'll get to that uh, portion of scripture. He says, 
To die is gain. But to live is Christ. When you die, yes, it is gain for us Christians. But if you do not know Christ, it's not better for you to die. But there must have been Paul, Joseph, there must have been moments where they tried and, and, and just were being introspective. They're looking at themselves. They're looking at the, the situations, the, the circumstances. And uh, I would imagine Paul reasoned. And he came to this conclusion. If God has been faithful in my life up to now, to this point, I'm in prison. God has been faithful. He will continue to do the same, even going forward. Even though I might not see over the mountain, but God has been faithful. He has been faithful, and I've tasted his goodness. I've tasted his love and his forgiveness. If he has done that much to date, how much more going into the future? So it's not wrong for us to reason. It's not wrong for God gave us our minds to reason and, and try and understand. But he, just, he does say that his ways are higher than our ways. We'll never understand everything. Heavens are high at, um, from the earth. Some things we'll never understand. But as I try to encourage us this morning, as we have to look at testimonies in our lives. We have to look back into our lives. See that which God has done. Recognize what God has done. And as you recognize what He has done, then your heart becomes thankful. Oh God, you saved me. Oh God, you provided. Oh God, you rescued me. Oh, you stopped me from going that way. You did this amazing stuff. And I'm here because of your mercy, because of your grace, because of your love. And when we get to that place, when we look back and see his faithfulness, man, then we're encouraged knowing that going forward he will continue to be, to do just that. Because his word is clear. He says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he did that yesterday and he's done that up until now, he will continue to do it going forward, which is an encouragement for you and it's certainly an encouragement for me. And I'm so thankful to him for that. So there's a work to be done. And this work doesn't require you to work physically. It requires you to just yield yourself to him who's created you. It requires you to just spend fine time where you dedicate yourself to him and just bask or, or, or just be enveloped in his presence, in his goodness, and then remember, remember the things he has done over your life in the past. Remember those things. And as you remember those things, may your heart be encouraged. May your hearts be encouraged. Can I pray for us? And I'm going to ask if there any is anyone else here this morning, maybe after this, did you ever a uh, encouraging testimony. You, go, you look back into your life and you want to share with, with, with us so we can all be encouraged with you and thank God with you. So as I pray, and that's, that's you, I'd love for you to share with us this morning. 
But I'm going to pray. Father, we are here this morning and we thank you, Lord, for your most holy word. Thank you, Lord, for Paul. Thank you, Lord, for Joseph. Thank you, Lord, for the many men of faith who came before us. Thank you, Lord, that there were also humans like us. They went through ups and downs, no doubt. But we can learn from them, from these examples, from these stories. We can learn from them and, and um, remember, God, that you are faithful. That you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So for us, Lord, as, as, a, as a church family, God, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of how good you've been to us. I pray, God, that you'd remind us of your faithfulness, where we are maybe battling and we are trying to reason, God, I ask that you help us to lay that at your feet. And like we sang this morning, that our gaze will be fixed and turned to your face. And as we do that, Lord, we become thankful. We have gratitude in our lives. And then our attitude just is different. It's not one of woe is me, but rather one of wow is me. I am privileged to be called son and daughter of the king. There must be a divine root in all of this that's happening in my life. And so I thank you for it, Lord. Have your way in our lives. Have your way and receive the glory that's due to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.